Welcome to Dr. Stu's podcast. It's Dr. Stu in for Brian, who's probably out sick today. And uh, this is our podcast number 88. I'm very excited to be here. I've got Randy, the producer. Hey, Dr. Stu. And uh, we've got two special guests today, which we're going to get right into because we know our podcasts go by really, really quickly. Uh, if you'd like to write to me, you can write me at askdrstu at gmail.com. You can like us on uh, iTunes, and uh, you can find us at uh, drstuespodcast.com. Look at you. You did it. I know. I got through that. <laughs> Pretty good. Thanks, Randy. Um, so anyway, I'm here today with uh, actually two very important people uh, in the Los Angeles birth scene. Um, the first one I'm going to introduce is a colleague of mine. He's an obstetrician gynecologist, and he's a fellow of the American College of OBGYN. His name is Dr. David Gosland. He has a private practice in Santa Monica. And uh, he is uh, here to talk today about a really interesting topic uh, called mother-friendly cesarean section, which, of course, obviously, you know, on the Dr. Seuss podcast, we talk about how there's way too many cesarean sections in the country, and we're doing what we can to try to bring common sense to birthing. But some cesarean sections are necessary, and there's things that we can do that make cesarean sections better for mom and better for baby. And Dr. Goslin's here to talk about that today. We also have... Uh, Cordelia Hanna, who is, um, she's the executive director of the Association for Holistic Maternal Newborn Health, and she is putting together a big conference here in Los Angeles in October called the Mother-Friendly Childbirth Initiative, of which Dr. Goslin and I are lucky enough to be two of the people who will be speaking at this two-day conference, and so we'll be talking about that. I'd like to you guys to introduce yourselves just briefly, and then we'll get right into it. Uh, Cordelia, why don't you go first? Hey, so I'm so happy to be here, and yes, I'm Cordelia Hannah Chariot. I I got oh, married. Last name, I got right. divorced and remarried, so people know me as Hannah. I didn't want to attempt to pronounce it's your last fine, name. Right. It's fine. <laughs> so I'm really happy to be here. Good. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, so I have a question for you. All right, and this is sort of we have some things we do on Doctor Stu's podcast sometimes, which are are not necessarily medically oriented, <laughs> but you have four or five degrees after your name or five titles after your name. So you have MPH, which I know is Masters in Public Health. Yes. Right. And then you have CHES, which I have no idea what that stands for. Certified Health Education Specialist. And then you have ICCE. That's a childbirth educator accredited by the International Childbirth Education Association. And then a CLE. Certified Lactation Educator. Okay, that's different than there's another ILBC. There's an IBCLC, yeah, something but like that. I'm not that. I'm an educator, not a consultant. Yeah, this is acronym alphabet soup here. And then the last one is CBA. Certified birth assistant. That's different than a doula. Well, it's just a different, you know, there's different titles. But I was certified by uh, ALACE, Alice. <laughs> that's another one. The Association for Labor Assistance and Childbirth Educators. Okay, so so and what so you I'm do is similar to what a doula does, or, well, or, or do you have medical training? The difference is, is um, I've I've been a midwife assistant and trained as a midwife, and so it's a it's a little bit more clinical than what a doula does. So when you go to a, a hospital with a client in labor, are you? I mean, doulas are there for support. They're there to nurture. They're there to help uh, facilitate communication, but they're not really supposed to be giving medical opinions, and they're not supposed to be sort of contradicting uh, or countermanding what may be coming down from the staff. Um, because you have extra training, are you able to give medical advice to your clients? Well, I mean, I'm not supposed to. <laughs> I mean, it's really between the, the doctor and the midwife and, and the client, those kind of decisions. But yes, 
because of my training, I've, uh, you know, have clinical training as well. Um, I'm able to, I think, inform people about what their options are, or at least explain. Yeah, okay. Because sometimes doctors use medical jargon that the client doesn't understand, so sometimes I have to translate. Yeah, that's facilitation. I think that's great. I think, I I agree that doulas are not medical, but sometimes some doulas who've been doing this for 30 or 40 years, they sometimes know a lot more about certain things and certain procedures than than maybe some of the interns or residents that might be working at the hospital or some of the yeah. new nurses. But again, you know, the rules are the rules. They're not allowed to do that. So I was just curious about that because you do have a lot of titles, a lot of experience. Yeah, I've been a childbirth educator since 1991. So what is that? 23 years. 24 four years. years. Okay. 24 well, years. Well, welcome to Dr. Stu's podcast. <laughs> it's weird. I, I'm saying Dr. Stu's podcast. It sounds like I'm on a Seinfeld episode where I'm talking about Jimmy. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about, but uh, Jimmy's Jimmy's happy. Jimmy's angry. You just said a little self-important saying the Dr. Stu's podcast. Yes. But, well, uh, I could call it but hey, you've earned it. This is uh, show number what, 88? 88. 88. Right. So, uh, and then we have um, uh, my colleague, Dr. David Goslin. And uh, David, why don't you tell... The listeners a little bit about what's going on. Thank you, Stu. First of all, I just want to say, Cordelia, I thought I went to school for a long time. I only have an MD behind my name. Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> Stu, I want to thank you for having me. And Cordelia, I'm honored to be part of your symposium in October. And as um, Dr. Fishbein mentioned, I, I have been performing this gentle cesarean section, initiated first in Santa Monica. I mean, it's a national movement right now. But I just wanted to bring awareness to our to your audience about some of the things that make it a little bit different. If you're not able to achieve that vaginal delivery, how can we make the cesarean section more comfortable for you and enhance skin-to-skin bonding and immediate interaction between mommy and baby? Okay. So tell us, um, the term, I guess I got, I got it wrong, the term is actually gentle cesarean section. So um, first of all, tell us, I mean, obviously you and I train, we didn't learn this in our training. So how did you get involved in the idea that we're, we need to do things a little bit differently and what motivated you to become sort of one of the few leaders on the West Side here that, that is uh, trying to promote this movement? Well, I think first and foremost, you're right. You know, when we both train in a very Western format, uh, I never trained with doulas, I never trained with midwives, I never heard of hypnobirthing until I got out of residency. Um, but you listen to your patients. And I think at the end of the day, when you hear it over and over again, that they're wanting something a little bit more. If you're comfortable with your practice of medicine and your surgical skills, you can think outside the box. And so all it took was just listening to people and then changing things around and allowing for a very safe delivery. That's Look, it's still a C-section. It's still surgery. It's still a sterile environment. But we can make it so that it's a lot more pleasurable. It's a lot more comforting to the mom. And it's just a matter of the way I do things surgically that have changed that I want to explain. The way our anesthesiologists handle the patients are a little different. Our nursing staff, our baby nurses are acting a little differently. And we've just changed some of the pieces around in the OR so that patients can really feel an immediate bond. And I've only heard incredible positive reactions from this. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how important I think this is. Again. I do, I do stress that I think there are way too many cesarean sections being for, performed, but if you can do this, other than in an emergency situation where the baby isn't, uh, you know, the baby needs immediate attention, this is so important because, I don't know about you, but I've sat in on many uh, ICANN meetings, International Cesarean Awareness Network, 
And one of the things that, and you've sat in on Cordelia said, yeah. I'll get your comment in a second. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've sat in on them and I, it's essentially when we go around the room and people tell their story, you have to get the Kleenex box out immediately. People start crying. They have, they love their babies, but they have very, very, very sad or, uh, or tra- uh, traumatic memory of the birth of the birth. And if we can do anything to change that, because that sort of thing, and we've talked about it on my podcast many times, that sort of thing sticks with a woman for the rest of her life. And just to make something where you can have skin to skin and bonding and maybe a little bit of um, uh, even get the baby on the breast and not have the baby necessarily have to be separated from the mother and maybe even a little bit of delayed cord clamp, all those things that will make the, will ease sort of the, the distress of a woman who really was hoping to have a vaginal birth and ended up with a cesarean section and maybe help with a little bit of the disappointment that they feel. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I want to reemphasize the fact that first and foremost, we always emphasize vaginal deliveries. But like you said, Stu, there are instances where a vaginal delivery may not be option number one. And in those particular cases, when you get transported into an operating room, it's a cold environment. And as a patient looking around, it's very intimidating. And so if we can do things so that the transition from walking into the OR to having the baby all of a sudden becomes a lot friendlier. It's something they're going to cherish and take with them for years on end. And if that makes a difference in their psyche, that's so important to give to them. And this this has been going on now, this idea for how long has gentle cesarean section? Because I know well, this know, wasn't around five, six years ago. I was in the hospital. When I left the hospital, they weren't doing this sort of thing then. So to be honest, it's actually been around for quite some time. I, I certainly am not the genius who invented it. It's being done in, in Britain, in right. Great Britain. So, you know, I'll tell you how it, it came about. You asked me about the whole Brotman program earlier. My, my Explain initial, to our listeners what that is. There's a new hospital opening up in Culver City that hasn't opened yet, and uh, I'm the director and chairman of that program. My initial thought process for that hospital was, how do I give back to natural birthing in hospitals? And it was to have, I mean, Cordelia came to some of our meetings. It was to have a midwife-centered labor and delivery with aromatherapy, hypnobirthing, the gentle cesarean. And so when I was doing some research online, I came across that they were doing this in Australia and England. And I sat there and saying, well, why are we doing this here? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. I, I think this stuff every day. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, you know what I do is, is everything that I do is sort of common sense and, and, and often evidence-based. And, and there's enough world literature to support the, you know, the, the things that people think may be a little bit crazy, but the things that I'm doing. And I always scratch my head and say, this is so simple and the results are so good. Why, don't, why doesn't that happen? So I, I salute you for that. Look, as you know, it's never an easy process. It's taken months to do. We did the very first um, gentle cesarean. So if you guys like, I'd like to share the very first experience, which I think maybe some of your listeners will appreciate. This was a first-time mom who had an uneventful pregnancy that happened to be breech. I know you deliver breeches at home. But in this particular case, she had not met Dr. Fishbein. And according to, you know, listen, our guidelines, and you know this, for, the, for all of us, breach deliveries at this current moment, if you are under your malpractice carrier or part of the hospital system, you're not going to do a breach delivery because you can't. We did everything in our powers to get her to, to avert this baby. I mean, we did moxibustion. She saw Dr. Berlin. We did 
uh, pelvic relaxation muscles. I mean, did we, you try aversion? We tried aversion. I mean, we did it all. And I really wanted to make sure she did it all so she could actually emotionally accept the idea that she was going to undergo a C-section. But it was so hard for her. And I turned to her, her name's Amy, and I said, Amy, you're going to be my very first patient to do a gentle C-section because you deserve it, and I'm going to really try and push this. When I approached my primary hospital, there was some resistance. People didn't understand it. But there was also a lot of excitement about it because a lot of the nurses had heard about it and wanted to be a part of this. And so, you know, it took a lot of cherry picking as far as staff is concerned who's going to be in the OR that day. And uh, we actually filmed it. It's going to be in a documentary uh, with Dr. Berlin. And it will yeah. be shown at our conference right. coming up in October. That's terrific. Uh, Dr. Berlin, I mean, the guy the guy is a jack of all trades. I mean, I, he just does so much. I mean, this is like his 47th documentary, I think. So. I know. <laughs> That's all he, he's, he's great. So, no, that, that is great. It is, it is sort of interesting to me when you say we had to like, cherry pick the staff to see who would be in the thing it's it seems to me it would be you know if i was a regular nurse who'd never see i would be i want to be there and yet well, there are probably people who were like rolling their eyes and saying what is this listen, all about 100 percent, you're right but that's okay because every time you do another one and i push forward now with every c-section every time another one comes out and the moms are so happy and it's a positive experience guess what the nayers start becoming years and they want to be a part of it. And then and so moms now, are going to tell yeah. their friends. They're going to go on Facebook and share it with their friends in their yoga classes. And then more and more women are going to be in demand for it. Yeah. Right. And then their doctor's going to slam the door shut <laughs> until, not, until it becomes more frequent. I mean, I, you know, I'm the happy pessimist. You have to understand that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm a pessimistic guy because I've lived through this and I see what goes on. And I see how easy some changes would be to instill and we, David and I were talking before we started recording and, you know, it just, it, it, the, the administrative process is just something that those of us that are doers just have a really hard time with. So anyway, back to the gentle C-section. So you decide you're going to do it with this lady, so, uh, Amy, and then what happens? How does it go? So let me tell you a little bit about it in a little bit more detail. So when a patient comes in for a scheduled C-section, as you know, Stu, you literally knock on the door of labor and delivery. You've got your 10 a.m. appointment. She walks into her labor and delivery bed. She is greeted by her bedside nurse, the anesthesiologist, who already knows we're going to be doing this. We explain to her how we we change the EKG leads from the anterior chest wall, so from the, the front to the back, so there's nothing obscuring anything or any wires. She's no longer binded to the bed in a in a sort of crucifix position. Which is great about putting the leads on the back because then the baby can be on her chest right. when it's born. Exactly right. And traditionally, when a mom walks into a C-section room, the anesthesiologist will put the spinal in. It's very quiet. It's very cold. There's a few nurses. Daddy's outside. He's not allowed in the room. Well, we've changed that. There's no reason why dad can't be there encouraging being there for, for his wife. So we have dad in the C-section OR. We're playing really gentle music. We actually, I, I ask him to bring a collection of their favorite musical songs they want played. Um, so the initial, it, it, theoretically, it could be rap music, right? It could be rap. I mean, we've done it to, we've, we've done it to Metallica. <laughs> okay. Um, but, but, uh, but this but, was probably yeah, Yanni, Yanni would probably be better, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Anya. Uh, or Anya, right. The, the incision, I make him a little bit smaller than, I, than you would traditionally in a C-section because for two reasons. One, cosmetic appearances. And second, it allows me to also make a smaller incision on the uterus, which allows for more chest compression. 
as I'm taking the baby out because we want to really try to replicate a little bit of some of the positives of a vaginal delivery, mm -hmm. which is to try and expel a lot of this fluid volume in the chest and, and lungs. Um, we also, like Stu mentioned, we, we take out the baby very slowly. At this point, all the drapes are down, so mom and dad are actually watching. My next move, and it's in the works, is to put a drape together where dad's actually going to put his hands through this special drape and going to help me pull the baby out. That's but so that's, cool. But that's going to... You know, that takes so would it have like gloves built into the drape? Built into the drape, yeah. sterile gloves. Right. It's still a sterile environment. We let the, I, I'm a big could, fan. Could, could even mom do that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because moms pull babies absolutely. out of the, Or the doula. Or the doula. No, the doula's not going to do that. <laughs> if the mom lets her. No, that's a medical a, procedure. You're not allowed to touch oh. the, you're not allowed to touch the baby. Don't you know that? I just want to do it. Oh my God, you're going you're gonna to get a, a Dr. Stu spanking here. Well... I've caught a few in the hospital when the doctor didn't show up. So. Right. Well, that's okay then because that's, that's, that's not part of surgery. Anyway, back to the serious stuff. So, so you cut a small incision so the baby's so the lungs can smaller. squeeze. By the way, the, our, my surgical techniques have actually been altered a little bit. I don't do as much dissecting or cutting. I use the planes of the natural tissue and spread. So it's actually, I have found that there's a lot less post-operative pain with that because you're not bluntly cutting tissue anymore. So you use the fingers spreading right. type thing? Right. Yep. Um, I mean, you've done the, many of those. and I We think used to use that as our, our rapid get in the belly right. technique. So it's right. a very, so exactly right. right. And you know what? The C-section's faster, and there's less post-operative pain. Well, uh, you're less likely to hit a big blood vessel and, right. and cut a big blood vessel. That so there's actually a lot of literature sub, to support that. You know, it gives you a, a subfascial hematoma or something like that. Once too. the cord is pulsated, we actually will clamp the cord uh, right there on the uterus. And then I'll, instead of giving the baby to the nurse, I make a 90-degree turn and put the baby right on top of mom's chest. She grabs the baby. She starts nursing immediately. Uh, the neonatal nurse or the baby nurse is right by her side just to help her in case. How, how, long, right how long will you let the cord pulsate? You know, so it's a good question. It depends. Sometimes mm -hmm. it depends on whether they're collecting stem cells or not. On average, we try and let it pulsate between 45 seconds to a minute and a half. Um, if we're not collecting stem cells, then I'll just let it go till it's empty, and then we'll clap. So you actually, it, it may take, Several Two minutes. Several minutes. Yeah, for sure. Right. And and the rest of the OR crew and everybody's okay with that. Oh, yeah. No, everybody's great. Listen, Because right, uh, they would always say, oh, well, she'll be continued to bleed during that time or she'll be continuing no, to... No, that's actually changed. That's a good oh, thing. Okay, good. So we're making baby steps. Um, once that's done and the baby's with mommy, it really becomes a, a, a regular section at that point. Now I have a lot of work to do. I have to rebuild everything. Do you, do you change gloves after you've handed the baby to mommy? So I do. Okay. Yeah, I do. Because okay. uh, there's always that possibility that she touches me. So I change gloves. We redrape. Uh, we just bring the drape back up. And then I finish my C-section as I normally would. And uh, and everybody's keeping their voices down, and nobody's talking it's about. It's a Laker, really gentle environment. They're not talking about Lakers scores or anything like that. Like <laughs> right. they talk about. There's in the, no, there's the no breach discussion about what happened on the golf course or right the latest and movie. The, and they talk about the mom and the baby and the dad, or or not. Or, or we not sing at all. happy birthday songs. Or you do, or you. You know, the ideal world would be to very everybody else is just very silent, and mom and dad are speaking and talking to their baby. And I imagine you do that. Now, I obviously have one other question, which do, doesn't seem to be part of this, but it's something that that those of us that are paying attention to the epigenetics and the microbiome issue and stuff like that, has there been any thought to swabbing the mother's vagina uh, with Q-tips or a sponge prior to prepping her? And then after the baby comes onto her chest, taking that sponge or Q-tips and rubbing it in the baby's nose or mouth? Yeah, that's a 
It's a great question. It's not being done currently. It's something um, to think about, though. Something to think about, yeah. Because obviously we know that being colonized with mom's skin bacteria is great, but there's also those, those It's funny you should ask bacteria. me this because yesterday I have a, another natural delivery coming up, and the father who's a physician who's all about it asked me a really good question, and I didn't have the answer, And even though I'm, I'm board certified. And the answer was, how do you feel? I mean, assuming the baby's gut is sterile, is it getting colonized as it's coming right through the vaginal canal? And I think your your question about colonizing it with a Q-tip actually answers it. It it it, it definitely gets colonized um, as it comes through the vaginal canal, and and they find obviously that there is, as you know too, the babies are born by cesarean section, who are taken right to the nursery or right to the warmer and right to the nursery, and you know mom gets to wave at the baby, not the gentle thing that you just described. Um, those babies do in. Uh, in general, not specific, but in general terms, you see more incidence of childhood asthma or autoimmune disorders, things like that. And, and those people that are really into the microbiome and the hormonal milieu of, of labor and that sort of thing do believe that a lot of it has to do with baby's exposure to this bacteria on, on mom and dad. And it's one of the, one of the again, there's, I have, think there's a lot of advantages to not being in the hospital. Uh, one of the big advantages I think of is that the baby's not going to definitely be colonized only with familial bacteria, because dad's bacteria, mom's bacteria, dog's bacteria, and and that can only be more normal than being colonized by uh, hospital nursery bacteria. Um, well, this sounds great. I mean, this this sounds great because it, it's going to give the mother the bonding is such an important thing. The initial secretions of oxytocin that the mother can then have with her baby when she can sniff her baby by the way you know that in the midwifery world when a baby's born we actually have the mother sniff the baby's head and sniff their baby because what it does is it releases oxytocin which then helps uh prevent postpartum hemorrhage yeah absolutely helps prevent postpartum hemorrhage and i mean one of the things you know with the gentle c-section because you're doing immediate breastfeeding you're having an immediate release of oxytocin, which theoretically would decrease your postpartum hemorrhage anyways and increase your uterine acne. And the nurse that's decrease there is, is is somebody that's assisting her with getting the baby to latch and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, hopefully hopefully a doula would be able to be there. I've, I've been involved in these type of C-sections. Yeah. Maybe not the gentle C-section that you're describing, but been allowed to be in the room. Uh, in the operating room and the staff has handed the baby over to me once they've checked the baby out a traditional c-section where the baby's handed off mm. to be checked immediately but then but then i have my role they hand the baby over to me once the baby's all checked out i actually walk the baby over to the mother and place the baby on the chest and that's where i'm able to get that skin to skin um, I love the idea of the screen being a little bit lower because it is sometimes hard to get the baby actually on the breast mm -hmm. um, without the screen being a little bit lowered. But at least the baby's been on the chest and daddy can actually hold his baby and walk out of the suite instead of... Well, do they take the baby, the mom stays with the baby until mom goes to recovery room? Or did the baby well, eventually... The, no, the baby stays with mom in the recovery yeah, room I mean, as well. Right, but yeah. they... They don't, so there's no separation of there's mom no and baby separation. at all. See, this is this is great. And and do they allow other people in the room? I mean, do they allow the midwife or the doula in the room, or is it just the dad that's in the room? Um, you know, or the partner. I should say the partner. It's to be fair. That's the partner. Yeah, right. right. It's anesthesia dependent. Um, that's I, how I, I got don't... through it. I, it was came down to it was anesthesiologist's call. I had to ask permission. 
yeah. of him. And so long as he's cool with it, which they were, they were like, I yeah, don't, most of them I, I'm fine. There's no problem. Okay. So yeah. that brings me to my last question about this is, is that this is great. And I, and I really think this is going to be a real benefit to, to women. And if they're going to be less Kleenex boxes at the ICANN meetings, when when this becomes more accepted which is good it's going to save the environment (laughs) and and the baby doesn't get separated after i mean i've had the baby stay with the mother for like you know two hours being checked on her chest well the same way we do in home birth and birth center that's the mammalian way in 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 nature the mother and baby are never separated there's such a thing we call this uh midwife midwives are taught in, in that mother and baby there's something called mother baby unity you and I are taught that once the baby's out, oh, the baby belongs to the pediatric department. It's not, you know, it's not our problem. But, but in nature, mothers and babies are never separated. The last, the one question I did want to ask you is, is that how are you being accepted? How is this being accepted by the pediatric department, by the anesthesia department? Or is that doctor specific as well? So, you know, Stuart, look, I'm not, I'm still a, a hospital-based physician, so... Um, I will tell you that as a hospital-based physician, there was a little bit of resistance in the beginning. But at the end of the day, whether you're hospital-based or just home-based, it doesn't matter. We're all, we all went into it for the same thing, which was the, the ability to help our patients get an outstanding outcome and to emotionally really be there for them. And they're seeing that this is making a difference. And so, you know, initially I think we had a little bit of resistance, but I have to say that because, like, Cordelia said it's being talked about in yoga studios and mommy groups. Doctors now are saying, well, I offer this as well because they don't want their patients feeling alienated. So whether or not they're doing it for, it doesn't matter what reasons, but they're doing it. And I think the move is starting and, you know, everything moves slowly in, in, in the hospital world, as you know. So, you know, it's a, it's a great step for so us. Should, the, should this be something when a woman is interviewing her OB at uh, 12 weeks going into the first OB visit, should it be a question they ask them that says, listen, if I end up needing a cesarean section, uh, do you know what a gentle cesarean section is? I think that the time is coming to that. Good. And, and I'm for sure talking about this in my childbirth classes. When I teach C-section, I'm showing a video of a natural C-section. I'd love to be able to have David's. Yeah, you know, we're getting it edited right now. So that I could actually show his in our class. Well, this is great. And when we get this, when we get this documentary up, it'll be great. You know, we have listeners all over the world. So there are people now all over the world who know more about gentle cesarean section than they did well, you know, 20 minutes ago. So and I think that's the greatest thing about medicine. We're all learning. It's a, it's a learning curve that continues. And, you know, yeah, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little slow for my taste, but, 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 uh, Me too. You know, and, and my <laughs> listeners know that, the, you know, things, things move too slowly. I mean, but also I, I just wanted to say one thing, you know, our conference title is called protecting the mother baby dyad. Innovation in maternity care. See, this is a great segue. She should be the host because so, I was going to go right into talking to Cordelia about the conference. Now, so, 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 I mean, I can't think of anything better than what David's doing in terms of protecting the mother-baby dyad. This is a perfect example of that, and also innovation. This is well, totally innovation. I mean, you know, this should be for another podcast. But um, you know, I've been working. I'm on the perinatal committee at both St. John's, Brotman. And one of the things that I have stressed for several years that has not yet come to fruition, and maybe we'll discuss it one day on your podcast, is how do you break down these barriers? Because the time has come. I mean, patients are wanting to deliver more at home. They're wanting a more natural type C-section. Birth centers are popping up right and left. And 
our biggest issue is when a transfer needs to be made to a hospital, how do we break, how do we enhance communications? Well, it's interesting you should say that because at is, the, is that uh, your talk? At, the, at the Mother Friendly uh, Childbirth Initiative in October, the title of my talk is Honoring the Pregnant Woman, Clarifying Normal, Emphasizing Collaboration, and Remembering Beneficence. So, yeah, that's what I, I do intend to talk a little bit about that. And I probably will pick your brain beforehand because, again, I've been out of the hospital world now for five years. I do, I do you know, transport periodically to the hospital. Uh, I do hear a lot of stories about what goes on in the hospital. Some of them are good. Some of them not so good. But, you know, that's true of everywhere. So, Cordelia, tell us a little bit about what's coming up in October and uh, if there's anything that you want to um, emphasize, this is a really good chance to do it. Well, David is going to be presenting, and so are you, so I'm really thrilled. I, I want to mention that David is also going to be speaking with Aida Simonian, who's a very experienced NICU nurse and the president of, or the CEO of Perinatal Advisory Council, PACLAC. So we'll be getting an, a nurse perspective, too, and an ICU nurse perspective on that. Oh, we and, got, I mean, the, you, the cast of characters here is fantastic. I mean, you have Sarah Buckley. Uh, I don't know if anybody's been listening, uh, uh, any of my listeners have been listening to the Better Birth 360 World Summit uh, that's been going on over the last month and a half, but I listened to Sarah Buck Buckley's 54-minute talk, and it was amazing. It was about hormonal physiology in pregnancy. It should be standard teaching for medical students and residents to, to just listen to this one-hour talk about the importance and how things are altered when we, when we mess with Mother Nature. So she's, so she's great, and she's got a book out now that's free, on the child, you can uh, go on to childbirthconnection.org, I think it is, and she has a 230-page book on hormonal physiology and pregnancy that's free. You can just uh, you can download it, and uh, you know it's obviously you don't need to read the whole book, but you certainly can find segments in There's there. There's an executive summary of that on Childbirth Connections website. Yeah, it's, so it's she's fantastic. she's in Australia, so she won't be joining us in person. But this conference is also a video conference, That's so right. people around the world can tune in to this conference and watch it live. And her topic is um, undisturbed birth, nature's blueprint for safety, ease, and pleasure. Wow, she had that memorized. That's pretty uh, good. <laughs> yes, I have it memorized. <laughs> yeah. That's great, and and and, and I, would, I would just recommend people listen to anything that Sarah Buckley has to say. You also have Hermine Hayes-Klein uh, and Leila Almariati. Leila works at, um, at California Hospital. She's the head of the OB department there, and they're going to talk on human rights. Yeah, so Hermine Hayes-Klein is a human rights lawyer, and she used to work in the Hague, at the Hague. She was a law professor. Now she's in Portland in her organization, Human Rights and Childbirth, they do global conferences. They're doing a big summit in South Africa right now about really reframing childbirth issues um, from a human rights perspective, linking issues like maternal mortality to human rights, women's equality, gender equality. Um, and she'll be speaking, like you said, with Dr. Leila Almariati, who's um, an OBGYN and um, women's health director at Eisner Pediatric and Family Medical Center. In downtown LA. Yeah, well, we call then, it California hospitals. But we call and then, it. well, yeah, she works out of the clinic but delivers right. at the hospital. She oversees the nurse midwifery practice that is there. So, And again, why don't you reiterate the, the point of this conference, that what you'd like to see attendees and, and those of us that are speaking, um, you'd like to see uh, the take-home message from the conference is going to be what? 
that it's really important for all of us to work together, that we all have a common goal, which is healthy mothers and happy mothers, healthy babies. And I, I've been in this work a long time, and I think we're in a huge time of shift and change. And, um, you know, actually, David's um, colleague, Kevin Justice, reached out to me after I was invited to speak at Cedar sinai um, on a cesarean prevention um, panel. And he said, I, I, I'm so impressed with what you're up to in the mother-friendly childbirth initiative. You have to come, come over and meet my colleague, David, and um, Gosland and my other colleagues. And you know, that's, that's a real change when, when, it's, when it's a perinatologist reaching out to a childbirth educator yeah. or a doula. I mean, I, I do have a master's in public health, but, you know, I think but it's, it's worth, a different time where the doctors are reaching out and saying, we want to collaborate with you as a doula or a midwife or a childbirth educator. It didn't, it didn't used to be that way. We were off in our own little world, maybe trying to make things a little better for women. Um, well, I think, I think it's really obvious from my perspective that when, when hospital-based physicians and maternal fetal medicine specialists and midwives and home birth obstetricians and doulas, when they know each other and when they actually know what each one does, there's, there's a lot of mutual respect. The problem comes when you have academicians sitting in ivory towers and places who, who, who uh, use pejorative terms against midwives and who slander home birthing as being something that uh, home delivery is only for pizza. And they say stupid things like that. These people have probably never seen a home birth. They probably don't even know uh, a midwife. They don't know anyone that that has even had a home birth or, or the experience. All they know is that, well, there's been these transports. There have been really bad outcomes at home birthing, whether they were planned or unplanned. And then so they go on a, on the rampage. And, I, you know, on this podcast, we've talked about a couple of these guys. And probably in podcast number 89, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into it a little bit more about how this is, you know, sort of detrimental. And they, they talk about risk. And they talk about everything being high risk and being living at home is high risk. And I'm going to use the next podcast to really dis describe what what do they mean by high risk? What is it? One in a hundred? One in a thousand? You know, uh, you know, what's the difference between relative risk and absolute risk? And they don't they don't do that. All they do is they they uh, the people that don't know who we are and the things that you just described, that Dr. Justice and Dr. Goslin and you know having bringing these things together when. When, if and they were, if they, you know, the problem is, is those people up there will never come to a conference like yours. Unfortunately, we we don't have a lot of attendance by by physicians. We have a handful that come, yourself included. Doctor Justice spoke last year. David Gosland is speaking this year. Layla Almariati spoke last year. So we have a few, but they're usually physicians that collaborate with midwives. We would love to have. You know, medical students come. Yeah, I, wouldn't it be nice to have the chairman of the department of of Cornell University or the chairman of the department of USC. Stanford or Cedars <laughs> or any of these people come come to the? the these you guys, I think I think the move is coming. I mean, first of all, I've been, yeah, but I'm 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 getting older. I know, but, but I, I but encourage you we're guys. We're going to put you on teach. hormones. You'll be fine. Okay. I mean, I encourage you guys who are who are teaching to invite your students. I know many many of you doctors do have teaching appointments. And, so. and, and I think that as, as the perinatologists like Dr. Kevin Justice and myself, look, as more people are becoming aware, and I know we, we, we've strayed a little bit from the gentle cesarean, but 
given the gentle cesarean, which is like a baby step. You know, where this is a baby step. I'm in the baby step mode. As people are taking baby steps, the eventual goal of, and I liked what you said, of having mutual respect for your peers, whether they believe in a hospital birth or not, is going to be there. And I think once people learn, hey, this is Stu, this is what he does, he's really good at what he does, this is Cordelia, this is what you do, this is really good, because you have data to back it up, and we want to see evidence-based medicine, then I have to, you know, I'm going to expect accept you as a peer, and then we can collaborate on patients. Well, that's, that's a real change, because in, in the first years of my doing this work, the doulas were not respected, in fact, treated badly, uh, but it's a different world now. Now... I'm I'm being welcomed into the operating room by the perinatal by the neonatologist to support. I've got, you know, Kevin Justice inviting me to come collaborate with him and David Gosland, and and, and I, I, think, I now and I, feel like I'm accepted as a peer on the on I mean, the team, which that wasn't the case 20 years ago. And Cordelia, I'll even augment that to the point of you know we're we've been working on opening this new labor and delivery department. Uh, as we were still in the baby phase of planning and figuring out our mission statement, one of the first key people we reached out to was your association, and we had you guys come and present. Uh, I don't think that would have happened 20 years ago in a hospital-based setting with an, uh, a new beginning labor and delivery. Yeah, and he's talking about the Association for Holistic Maternal and Newborn Health, which I founded along with some midwives, um, and we're, we're hosting the conference along with California Nurse Midwives Association. Do you have a October. website that you want to put out there? Yeah, it's holisticmaternalnewbornhealth.org. And it's holistic with a W. Um, and what we do is really promote the Mother-Friendly Childbirth Initiative, which is uh, a collaborative um, initiative that was developed um, quite a, a long time ago now, but I still think it's very relevant. It has 10 evidence-based steps to pr improve maternity care, and the principles that we promote are normalcy of birth, empowerment, responsibility, do no harm, and autonomy, and I think that these are principles that we can all get behind, whether we're a doctor, a doula, childbirth educator, a nurse. These are, these are really good and important principles. I want to thank you both for, for what you've um, brought here today. I, I want to add that I'd love to see, if we can't get chairman of departments at these meetings, it would be great if we could get medical students and residents to come to these meetings because they're the next generation of doctors. Well, we have midwife students and, coming, and but I we, need residents, we need residents, medical residents. To, we need residents to come, and we need to find a way to get the residency training doctors to allow their residents to come or to allow us into the residency program. To show it, Dr. Berlin and I screened uh, heads up the breach documentary at uh, Kaiser over here uh, a few months back and the reception that we got from the residents was great It's going to really, be shown at our really conference too. They really showed some curiosity About something that they're not getting no training for and they don't know anything about sort of normal mammalian birth And they don't know anything about what midwifery model of care is and they're they're not they're not given any of that insight And there's no better time to get it than when you're a student so that you can then formulate how maybe you want to do things. I know when you and I trained, it was very medicalized. At least where I was, I was at U, U, uh, County Hospital in Cedars in the early 80s. And, and you know, we did anything we wanted to do. And we put forceps and everything. And we were doing, all, it was all very medical. And it was, there was no attention paid to the consciousness or the, uh, the psychology of the woman at all. It was a very clinical setting. 
you know, we did, we were taking care of people we'd never met before. We were working on shifts. That system, which is probably what's, you know, is the wave of the future, unfortunately, there needs to be some sort of uh, temperance to that where, where we remember that these women are individuals and what we do for them um, affects them for the rest of their lives, affects the babies for the rest of their lives. And my a lot of my colleagues, they're, they're sort of, they're just sort of shell shocked by all the changes that have occurred in healthcare and all the all the the regulations and the and the slowness of administration and the malpractice and all that stuff. And you, you lose sight. These are good people who have lost the ability or lost sight of of what their mission really really is. David is unique. You know, you're not unique, but you're not the norm. You need yeah. to know that you're not the norm. Okay, the norm is uh, what's going on in uh, in in Fresno, California. All right, where there's nobody like you. There's nobody that will support a midwife. There's well, nobody the, that will do a VBAC. And there's, there is a strong women's movement. Women are taking back birth. And in fact, we're showing a film called Freedom for Birth. And the subtitle is, you know, The Mother's Revolution. So I see that, that, that that's happening. Women are taking back their births. Right. And, and then that, there's lots of issues around inequity and health um, disparities and, and the causes of that, which have to do with racism and all of those type of things. So I, this is really the new trend and, and the impacts of that and the importance of addressing those issues. And we're, we're going to address a lot of these themes at the conference. Um, our themes are equity in maternal and child health, respectful treatment in maternity care, professional collaboration in maternity care, and promoting the normalcy of birth and breastfeeding. So that's a lot of information you've given there. They can go to your website to get more information uh, uh, on the conference. They can, If they're in Los Angeles area, we'd love to see you live. And please come up and introduce yourselves to Dr. Goslin and Cordelia and myself. If you're going to watch on webinar, you can watch them anywhere in the world on the webinar, correct? Yes, you can. Right. And uh, they just go to the website to sign up, right? They would go to 2015-well, whatever. I can't remember it all right now. But anyway, just go to our website, holisticmaternalnewbornhealth.org. Oh, here it is. It's 2015-MFCI-symposium.eventbrite.com. Okay, that's way too hard. So I'll tell you what you can do. You go to to my website, birthinginstincts.com, and you click on the banner. Okay, it's a lot. It's a lot easier. So, birthinginstincts.com. By the way, if you want to comment on this podcast, it's askdrstu at gmail.com. Uh, we look forward to your comments. I do read every email. I respond to every email. So please uh, feel free to write us. Look forward to seeing you next time, David. Did you want to add just something? Wanna, no. Thank you, Stu, for having me on, and I look forward to continuing our efforts to make uh, maternal birthing a, a better process. Come on out October 14th and 15th at the California Endowment Center in downtown LA. Thanks for all for listening. This is Dr. Seuss Podcast number 88.